Let's now turn to the book of James, and we'll read uh, beginning in chapter 4 at verse 13, and then through verse 9 of chapter 5. So we'll begin reading the book of James, chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury, you have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just, he does not resist you. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Let's also turn our book of forms and prayers to Lord's Day 42. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? He forbids not only outright theft and robbery, which governing authorities punish, but in God's sight, theft also includes all evil tricks and schemes designed to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? That I do whatever I can and may for my neighbor's good. That I treat others as I would like them to treat me. And that I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life has a lot to do with money, with stuff, with property, or Goods, as our catechism refers to material things. In Matthew 25, the Lord Jesus Christ told a parable of the kingdom, one of those parables that described uh, the nature of Christ's rule and what it means to be citizens of that heavenly kingdom. And he likened the kingdom to a man who delivered his goods to his servants, who had to give an account for those goods to their master. God created us body and soul, and he put us in a material world which he has made, and he has commissioned 
man from the very beginning to exercise dominion over the world in such a way as to glorify him in a very material way. God made us to glorify him with the work of our hands as well as with our minds. God has called us to glorify him with uh, the use of his gifts. And we're to do that also in relationship with others. And so it matters to God how we get things. And it matters to God what we do with the things that we get. And it matters to God how we part with them. And so like all the commandments, the eighth commandment, you shall not steal, deals with a very broad area of daily life and uh, our value system with which we operate. How are we to love God and our neighbor? Well, the Eighth Commandment is concerned with how we are to love God and our neighbor in the way we respect his goods, in the way we use our goods, and we're to do so in a way that is good and in a way that does good. We are to respect others' goods in the fear of God. That's our way of summarizing the Eighth Commandment that we'll consider together. And we want to begin with the fact that we are to respect others' goods in the sight of God as well as men. Answer 110 of uh, our Lord's Day distinguishes different kinds of theft. It speaks of outright theft, which is punishable by law. And then it describes uh, various evil tricks and schemes by which we might seek to obtain our neighbor's goods in ways that uh, that uh, may have an appearance of legitimacy or ways that are so hard to detect that it's almost impossible for them to be uh, punished by law. And there's an example of some of those ways. It's just a, just a sampling of such things. And that's really all the catechism could give because uh, man is very very creative and very clever. We have this ability to be quite ingenious when it comes to ways of looking out for number one at the expense of others. And so it's impossible to make specific laws that that cover every possible way of, uh, of stealing from others. Now, when we look at the list, that's given here, like inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest. Some of these things are, in fact, uh, covered by various laws of the land. And we're thankful for that. And, uh, there are, there are ways of, uh, bringing lawsuits against those that would act unjustly in a whole variety of ways. And we're grateful for the way uh, civil uh, authorities in the land in which we live also has ways of protecting property with various laws that can be addressed to very specific and complicated uh, situations. We are reminded from our scripture reading in Exodus that God's word also spells out uh, many different forms of theft. And by the way, this is one of the, one of the many reasons why it's important to read the Old Testament, and uh, the first five books of the Bible, as well as uh, the historical sections and the prophets, because 
uh, we're given many case laws, we're many, given many descriptions in which the Ten Commandments are fleshed out in detail in terms of how they are to be obeyed. And that's what we have in, in uh, Exodus chapter 22. And uh, some of these laws pertain directly to the Eighth Commandment as it describes various forms of theft. The first few verses describe what we might call outright theft. Someone steal, steals an ox or a sheep in order to slaughter it or to sell it. A blatant uh, uh, violation of the, of the Eighth Commandment. But then as we progress through this chapter, we read of a, of a case of someone turning their animal loose in their neighbor's field so that their animal might graze and be fattened off a neighbor's grass or grain or whatever it might be. And immediately we can think of all kinds of plausible reasons why somebody would do that. It's the animal who did it. Or maybe who's going to get caught, especially if they let their animal out at night and bring them back onto their property in the morning. Or who's going to make a big deal out of a little bit of grass or grain that's eaten by the neighbor's cow, right? And it's easy to imagine all the plausible excuses that can be given for this kind of theft. But it's regarded in Scripture as a kind of theft or which there must be restitution. And by the way, just as an aside, when we read these commandments, we're given insight also into the goodness of God's law even in the requirement for restitution. In other words, the victim is compensated for theft. The thief is not just placed in a prison system uh, where he's supported by the state, but there's a way in which to show the kind of love for a neighbor that really serves for uh, restitution for such nonviolent crimes, you might say. You see God's wisdom and goodness reflected even in that uh, requirement that's repeated frequently in this passage concerning making it good, restoring fourfold or double. We move on and we read about carelessness with another's property. In verse 6, if fire breaks out and catches the thorn so that the stacked grain, standing grain, or the field is consumed, he who kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. I suppose it's possible that this is a description of a deliberate situation, but you can also see how carelessness could result in uh, the loss of one's goods, and that's punishable. That's covered under God's law. And certainly there are laws of the land today that uh, uh, would prevent us from act as, acting carelessly in such a way that would harm others in their persons or in their goods. Or what, what about uh, keeping what doesn't belong to you? If a man delivers to his neighbor money or articles to keep, and it is stolen out of the man's house. If the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges to see whether he has put his hand into his neighbor's goods. Here, will you keep this for me? Money? I've got to go away. I don't want to take it with me. And he is gone, and the time progresses, and after a while, the owner thinks, I could use this for myself. He's probably not coming back. I'll just keep it. Oh, then he comes up. Well, the thief stole it. Well, then the judges have to make a judgment whether or not, indeed, there is evidence of, of theft or whether he took it for himself. You know, we've heard the expression that possession is nine-tenths of the law. Well, not according to Scripture. And one can be careless with another's goods or take them 
for various reasons. Or failure to return what others lose. Actually, it's in the next chapter that we read in verse 4. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. Now, this doesn't necessarily describe someone who actually stole that oxen or donkey. He might simply reason, oh, this belongs to that guy that I hate. I'm not going to tell him that his ox is loose. That'll teach him. Or maybe it does involve stealing it for himself and keeping it and thinking, what good fortune came to me? I didn't have to actively take revenge. God in his providence uh, uh, sent this animal into my possession. And now it's mine. And he deserves it. No, no. Finding things that belong to others obligates us to seek to restore them. We actually had a conversation on this in our catechism class this past Tuesday night, talking about what happens if you find a bag of money. Well, very likely somebody lost it. Or it could be the result of a theft. And you should turn it into the police. What if it's a $20 bill? <laughs> okay. You know how our minds operate? Well, it's probably quite impossible to find who, who owned a $20 bill. But the point is that we can be very clever. And as I was teaching the, 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 the young people this, I was reminded of something that happened that very day. And I say this not to, to suggest that I'm so righteous, but to give an illustration of uh, how sometimes when you're teaching others, your own conscience is pricked. And I had just received a, a package from Amazon earlier that day. And it was a package of books that I ordered for the elders, a book on uh, verses of scripture counseling. And the week before, I looked it up on Amazon, and I saw that the coiled version, the one that you can nicely open up, was like $50. I thought, no way. But then I looked further, and I saw, oh, there's a paperback version. You know, it's bound. It's not as handy, but it's a paperback version for $16. So I ordered 10 copies of the paperback version. And then the delivery comes, and I open it up, and I've got the coiled version. How nice. Save the church some money. That's better. And as I'm teaching the kids, I'm thinking, no, should I take advantage of their mistake? And if we have any question about that, just reverse the situation. Imagine I paid for the $50 coiled version and they sent me the, 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 the booklets. You can be sure I'd be on the phone or I'd be on the chat there and explaining the problem, make sure I get, making sure I get reimbursed. And so my own conscience was uh, pricked, and I, the next day I got on the chat and explained the situation, and they basically said, well, enjoy it, our mistake. Okay. Well, I still felt better about it. But you see how we can so easily fall into these situations. Oh, it's my good fortune. And we fail to think about the reverse of the situation, and we're quick to devise ways to take advantage of others, perhaps in not returning something that is lost when we could or taking advantage of other people's mistakes, rather than loving our neighbor as ourselves. The Bible forbids favoring the poor man in a legal case, also in chapter 23, where it says, You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Here is some uh, liberal-minded person who figures, Well, so often the poor are mistreated. Now I know he doesn't have the best case. But because he's poor, I'll favor him over the rich person. No, no, no. Justice is to be blind. And just because someone is poor, that doesn't provide a rationale to do injustice to the rich. 
You're not to favor the poor in their cause, nor are you to do the opposite. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. And certainly that is more common, right? Do not the rich drag you into the courts? Do they not oppress you? James says in chapter 2, yes, that's that's more common, that people with money and power will take advantage of the poor. But both are forbidden, according to Scripture. Justice is to be blind. These are just some samples that we find in Scripture with respect to matters of uh, property and justice. And here's where the fear of God makes the difference. That is a concern uh, for what we can get by with, what we can get caught at. That's just pure legalism. It forgets our calling to love our neighbor as ourselves. Forgets our calling to be a, a positive witness, a Christian witness. Provide all things honorably, Paul says. Not only in the sight of the Lord, but in the sight of men. That doesn't mean that we do things to be seen by men, the way Jesus forbids. But we should act in such a way that we demonstrate integrity with respect to money matters and property before the world. And to do otherwise is also to forget the judge who sees and who hears, who knows all things, who stands at the door. He sees our outward actions and he sees our, our inward motives. He sees when, when Christians are ruled by greed. And I think this is one area where there is a real temptation for Christians because we can act within the law or maybe just cut a few corners. And we can develop habits with respect to business that really betray a kind of greed and a kind of materialism that may not be exposed, right? It's just good business. Often people are praised for their success. And there's nothing wrong with success, certainly. And there's nothing wrong with gaining wealth. But it's wrong to do so uh with violations of God's commandments, and it's wrong to do so with a covetous and greedy heart. We must beware of, of those things. We must not equate wealth and success automatically with God's blessing. We should be very careful to the, about the motives that our, our Lord sees. So we're to respect others' goods in the sight of God as well as man. And we're to do so as stewards of God's sovereign distribution. You know, there's this extremely important phrase in answer 10 at the, the, the very last um, words. It says that pointless squandering of his gifts is also forbidden by the Eighth Commandment. But notice where it says pointless squandering of his gifts, the antecedent, in other words, his, right, refers to God's. We're not to squander God's gifts. In Luke chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus also told a parable how we are to serve the Lord according to the, the, the talents, the gifts that we are given. He says there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. That is, he was wasting his master's goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship. Give an account of your stewardship. It's a parable about 
accountability to God for how we use the material things he has given us, whether much or little. We are all stewards. That's an important word. It's an important thing to understand. A steward is someone who is often indeed a servant, but he's not a menial servant. He is a servant that has a respectable position, a servant who is entrusted with his master's resources. He is someone who has a significant level of freedom and responsibility in the way he uses those resources, but he is always accountable to his master. You cannot serve God and mammon is the conclusion of this passage in Luke chapter 16. Because the gifts that we possess, and we'll consider what a variety that entails, they are his gifts, and they're distributed according to his sovereign will. The rich and the poor have this in common, Proverbs 22 says, that God is the maker of them all. God distributes his gifts according to his sovereignty. Think of the, of the parable of the talents. One servant is given ten talents, one given five, one uh, given two. And that's a picture of the fact that the Lord distributes his gifts according to his own will. And there's a great diversity. But this has a huge bearing on our understanding and our whole view of theft. You see, it means that to steal from our neighbor is not only to mess with his stuff, but it's to interfere with his stewardship. It's to mess with his master. It's to take God's gifts from our neighbor so that he cannot use them. And it's to possess them illegitimately in a way that we must give an account for. Because God is the possessor of all things. And that's foundational to our understanding of money and property and goods of every kind. You don't want to mess with the master. See, that's what, that's what, uh, James, uh, speaks about in chapter five, verse four. He says, indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. He is the sovereign God. He sees, he knows all things. He recognizes oppression. He recognizes the mistreatment of others. He recognizes the greed, the materialism, the love for pleasure that characterizes the people that he's describing in this passage. So squandering God's gifts, that's a, that's really a huge area. It means, it means far more than wasting food. Well, it does mean that. That can be sinful. But it's so much more. It's a waste of lives spent on selfish material pursuits and pleasures at the expense of others and at the expense of God's honor. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. No, indeed, this is a very severe, it's a withering indictment against rich people, not because they're rich, but because riches have become their God, and they live for material accumulation and pleasure. 
at the expense of their accountability before God and the expense of justice towards others. Squandering God's gifts, wasting what God gives. Now, there's many forms of that, right? There's the waste of money by squandering it, by hoarding it. Hoarding money can also be a waste. That's, again, to be distinguished between legitimate investment and looking out for uh, one's retirement so that one does not depend upon others. That's an honorable thing to do. But even such concerns must not be obsessive at the expense of giving to God's kingdom. Squandering or hoarding money. about wasting time? We're to redeem the time. Wasting time by procrastination and neglect of duties that God has given to us. Or the waste of health by inactivity or gluttony or other various ways in which we can abuse our bodies. Or the waste of our minds by neglecting uh, to increase in wholesome knowledge. Or wasting of the ability and the opportunity to support oneself or one's family by laziness of mind or body instead of work. Now these are battlegrounds of, of the Christian warfare. And in a way they, they expose what uh, has been called respectable sins, right? Because they address our conscience in a way that doesn't involve a, a rule book, a list of do's and don'ts that spells everything out in detail. But it has to do with our, our view of ourselves and our lives and all that we possess in relation to God as stewards, as those called to glorify Him in all these areas. These are areas where we need to put off and we need to put on put off waste, and put on gratitude. Put off greed, and put on contentment. Put off laziness, and put on diligence. Put off selfishness, and put on love. Now, the Bible always uh, presents these contrasts. The Bible never simply says, don't do this, but it always commands the opposite. We hear that in Proverbs chapter 20, 21, where it says, The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. He covets greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. Right? The contrast between the lazy, covetous person and the, the righteous who gives and does not spare. In a little while we'll come to uh, the the fifth uh, chapter of Ephesians, where we um, have these exhortations to uh, to Christians with respect to areas of oh, we actually heard one this morning. Let uh, do not lie to one another, but speak truth, right? Or let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor with his hands the thing that is good. Why? So that he might have something to give to him who is in need. Who is in need. It's not simply don't steal or quit stealing, but rather provide for yourself and do so so that you might also be able to give to others. Right? That's the, the background to what the Catechism says, that I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. We're to respect our neighbor's goods in the sight of God as stewards and with a conscience that is under the golden rule. Jesus gave us what is called the golden rule in uh, 
Matthew chapter 7, where he says, Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. It's like God's will found throughout scripture is summarized in this, this, uh, rule of love, right? It's also expressed in the words, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's easy to say, isn't it? You want others to not steal from you. Well, don't steal from them. You know, the thief doesn't consider or the thief really doesn't care what it feels like to be ripped off. And for people who have a legitimate respect for property and uh, see themselves as stewards of God, in fact, just about anybody doesn't like being ripped off. It's a bad feeling. It's not nice. And here's a simple thought to keep in mind when you're tempted to take what belongs to someone else. Love your neighbor as yourself. Remember what it feels like to be, have something stolen from you. But positively, it means, uh, plotting, if I may use that word. Catechism talks about schemes. What about plotting to do good? Devising ways to help others. That's what Isaiah, uh, chapter 32, uh, describes. Again, in a way that presents a contrast with the schemer, right? The schemes of the schemer are evil. He desi- he devises wicked plans to destroy the poor with lying words, even when the needy speaks justice. But a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. He devises generous things. Or think of the way Paul puts it in Philippians 2. He says, let everyone not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Think of ways that we might do good to them. Some might be able to do that with money. Some might be able to do that with time. Some might be able to do that with practical help or encouraging words or prayers. Great variety of things, combinations of such activities that truly help others. And sometimes it's best just to start with the question, if I were in their situation, what would really help me out? And are we able to perhaps meet needs? May I do it? You know, it's interesting that the catechism says that uh, I am to do good whenever I can or may for my neighbor's good. In other words, we're not simply to act on impulse. I see people doing that often when there's somebody standing at the intersection with a sign, poor and hungry, right? And I see people rolling down their windows and giving $20 or giving money. And, you know, I don't think you should be doing that. I don't trust the legitimacy of giving people money, thinking that very likely they're not going to be using it for good. And furthermore, you're probably not helping them in doing so. And furthermore, it's possible that they might be returning to their uh, apartment later on in that day, a well-reasonably furnished apartment with quite a few stuff. I mean, there are many instances where it's been uh, proven that there are these kind of professional panhandlers, and a lot of them make lots of money. So I I don't, I have no confidence that you're doing anyone, anyone any good by just handing them money out the window because they're looking pathetic. Now, we should pity them indeed. 
And at times there might be an opportunity and we might have the time to try to do them good and to talk to them and find out about their situation. But there is a distinction between uh, doing others good and uh, trying maybe to do ourselves good by feeling good, whether we're actually helping someone or not. That's a fair distinction that the Catechism makes. Can I do this? Would it be right? Indeed, we are to give freely, as we have freely received, that ought to characterize our our hearts, attitudes to those, those in need. I mentioned earlier that God sees what is at the heart of theft. The Catechism speaks of greed, right? But I think there are other things often at the heart of, of theft. Fear, maybe one of them. Fear of missing out. Even fear of, of not having resources that you might need. It's interesting, isn't it, that the, the, the wise man in Proverbs says, uh, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Praise that he would not be poor, lest he be uh, tempted to steal. Or that he wouldn't be rich, lest he would uh, deny God, who is the Lord. In other words, he would lose his sense of dependence upon God. Distrust can be at the heart of theft. Perhaps not distrust of God's grace to save from judgment, but sometimes a more practical, not, I don't want to say more practical in contrast to that, but what I'm talking about, perhaps a distrust in the wisdom of God's providence, in the way he distributes his gifts. A kind of distrust that would lead us to uh, anxiety or cutting corners or acting unjustly for the sake of looking after ourselves because we don't trust God to provide for us. Or perhaps a distrust in God's grace and God's spirit to give us true satisfaction and rest to our souls, which no amount of money, no measure of accumulation can ever provide. Isn't that behind the addictions that people might have to shopping or spending or gambling? They're engaged in this futile effort to find some peace, to find some happiness and satisfaction in the accumulation of stuff, in the hope of being rich. And the only answer to that restlessness of our souls, that hunger and emptiness that we have as made in God's image and fallen from righteousness is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to come to him. We're to find rest for our souls in him. That's the answer to those who do not know him yet. They must realize that there is no happiness, there is no satisfaction in this world. We cannot serve mammon. We cannot serve material things and find life there. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. Life consists in the knowledge of Christ. And that's the message that people that don't know him need to hear, and that's the message that we continually need to hear, because we're so inclined to covetousness and greed and distrust and materialism. Rather, we need to find our sufficiency and our resting place in the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done to address the real source of our problem, and that is our sin and our alienation from God. And he dealt with that problem by his suffering and death on our behalf. And he rose again from the dead. And he is able, he is able indeed to save all those who call upon him. Amen.